Welcome to the Scales and Tails podcast, where we unveil the secrets to weight loss. I'm your host, Brianna Fia Keen, accredited practicing dietitian, mum of four, and foodie fanatic who is constantly hungry because I talk about food all day long. Wouldn't that make you hungry too? Join me as I delve into the essential pillars that shape your weight loss journey, including mindset and motivation, nutrition and healthy eating, exercise and fitness, effective weight loss strategies, behavior change and habits, sleep and stress, and nurturing a positive body image through self-care. Are you ready to embark on a transformative journey with me and my guests? I'm here to help you. Let's do this. Hello and welcome back to the Scales and Tails podcast. What we're going to touch on today is what are actually the options in this modern world for weight loss. The most recent data that we have on overweight and obesity is from 2017-2018. So it's a couple of years old and it's been derived from the ABS 2017-2018 National Health Survey. There was one done a couple of years later, however, due to COVID, no physical measurements were recorded. They were all self-reported, so self-reported heights and weights, um, and we know that people usually under-report those statistics. So based on the data that we have available, what we know is that two in three, so about 67% of people in Australia are living with being overweight or obese. And that calculates out to be approximately 12.5 million adults. 36% of them are overweight but not obese. 31% are obese. 12% are living with a severe obesity, which you know is a BMI of over 35 or more. A reduction in weight has the potential to reduce the risk of so many things high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, liver disease, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, mood-related things like depression, certain cancers, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis. Knowing all of that, what I wanted to touch on today was some of the evidence-based options that there are for weight loss. So we're going to touch on diet and exercise, a VLCD diet, medications or pharmacotherapy, intragastric balloons and surgery and then I'd like to wrap up with how to start the conversation with your doctor for those of you who want to explore this further. So we're going to start with diet. Let's dive on in. First of all, losing weight and maintaining it is often a lifelong thing. Second of all, there is no one perfect diet That is the magic diet that everyone needs to follow. A diet for you needs to be personalized and crafted to meet you where you are at at this given point in time. What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other. As a dietitian, when I talk about diet, all I'm really referring to is the food selection that you make to improve your health and regulate your weight. Let's keep that simple. A fad diet, though, is an eating plan that usually promises rapid weight loss and is often temporary. They are generally not based on science or they just don't have a lot of clinical research to back them up yet. 
they are often prescribed elimination of a lot of things, which may mean that you don't actually get all of the nutrients that your body needs. While many of these fad diets may work in the short term, what I usually see in practice is that they aren't sustainable. And once you resume your usual eating plan, the weight tends to come back and then some more. Often losing weight isn't the hard part. It's keeping it off. It's the learning process that you undertake throughout that journey. That's why there needs to be a learning component added to the process of any weight loss program that you're doing. Okay. Dietitians are the most qualified people to help you learn about food and nutrition and your health. For people with a very long history of chronic dieting or starvation, they tend to have lower metabolic rates because when you lose weight quickly, you lose fat and muscle. What happens though when you start to eat normally again, your body will burn will burn even fewer calories than before because the muscle in your body has decreased and your metabolic rate is slower. We know that muscle burns energy, but fat doesn't. So we actually want you to maintain your muscle mass and lose your fat stores in any weight loss attempt. A fair expectation of weight loss with diet only is around half to one kilo a week. Do that consistently and you'll be exactly where you want to be. You know, I think the hardest part of that is knowing what to eat and doing it consistently, having the support and accountability to keep up with it. What do you guys think? Now, I want to look at when we actually combine diet with exercise, what's actually the difference? I know a lot of personal trainers out there that say weight loss is a very small percentage exercise and a much bigger percentage diet. I think, though, that they go hand in hand, but you'll definitely get much better results when you pair them both together rather than doing either of them in isolation. In saying that, though, diet has a stronger effect on weight loss than exercise does. Exercise has a stronger effect in preventing weight regain after the weight loss. So it's those habits that you develop while you're on that journey that's going to stop you from regaining that lost weight. That's why it's important. When you're active, your body uses more energy, calories. And when you burn more calories than you consume, you lose weight. Okay? Simply put, to lose weight, we need to use more calories than we consume and create a deficit. In order to lose, you know, that half to one kilo a week, we need to create a deficit of around 4,200 kilojoules a day. That may be a combination of diet and exercise. Weight loss through diet without physical activity can increase falls and fractures as you age because age-related bone losses, okay, the bone density and the muscle mass decreases. When we add in some aerobic and resistance training to a weight loss program, it helps to counterbalance the loss of bones and muscles. So what type of exercise is most useful when we're trying to lose weight? Cardio, things like walking, running, cycling, swimming, doesn't have a big effect on your muscle mass. However, it's very effective at burning calories. In a 10-month study that examined how cardio without dieting affected weight loss, they studied 141 people who were overweight or obese. They were then divided into three groups and told not to reduce their calorie intake. Those who burned 400 calories from five cardio sessions a week lost 4.3% of their body weight. Those who burned 600 calories per session five times a week lost slightly more, 5.7%. 
and the other group who didn't exercise actually gained 0.5% of their body weight. So it just goes to show we need a combination of cardio and strength-based training combined with your diet to get the weight loss that you guys are looking for. For those of you who have tried the diet, who've tried the exercise and are wanting something else, the next tier up would be a VLCD. So also known as a very low energy diet. Okay. They've been shown to be quite effective in the management of obesity, with weight losses averaging around one to two and a half kilos per week. So it provides greater initial weight loss than other forms of calorie restriction. VLCDs are commonly used in a medically supervised weight reduction program for people who have a BMI of around 30 and above, a little bit lower if you've got comorbidities or other health concerns. Or for people who need quite rapid weight loss um, as a part of a pre-op preparation for surgery of any description. So I've had people who have had joint replacements that have needed to lose weight prior to that joint replacement to make their rehab better um, and easier, who have put on a VLCD as well. Um, what we're referring to when we're talking about a VLCD is a low-carbohydrate, energy-restricted diet that provides adequate protein, adequate vitamins, adequate minerals, um, enough of the trace elements for safe and effective weight loss. This can be achieved through a food-based meal plan or meal replacements. You know, that is up to you. On average, it's going to give you around 800 calories or less per day. And by reducing the energy intake, along with the reduction of the carbohydrates, what we're inducing there is a mild form of ketosis. That means that we're changing our metabolism from using carbohydrates as its main source of energy to using existing fat stores for fuel. That's where we start to see the weight loss happen. Losing weight rapidly can be quite motivating for patients. It's also very effective in decreasing fat around your liver and your stomach, uh, particularly if you've got weight uh, surgery planned. We also know that mild ketosis can suppress hunger, so it makes it easier to stick to once you get through the first couple of days. It's been associated with improvements in insulin sensitivity, blood pressure, triglycerides, sleep apnea, glycemic control, in people with type 2 diabetes, we can see glucose levels decreasing by about 25.7%. Cholesterol levels can decrease by about 9.2%. Triglycerides, those ugly cholesterols, can decrease by about 26.7%. Blood pressure, systolic blood pressure, can decrease by about 8.1%. Your diastolic by about 8.6%. So we're seeing really good results. Situations where we would use a VLCD to manage that um, overweight, particularly if there's a comorbidity like blood pressure or cholesterol or diabetes or osteoarthritis or some gynecological disorders um, or problems with your liver, it may be an option when other more conservative approaches to weight loss have been unsuccessful. Recent evidence suggests that people who lose weight with a VLCD tend to maintain more weight loss when the weight loss is achieved using a VLCD compared to just a low energy diet. However, they are more effective when they're combined with behavior change, active follow-up, and we can also add in um, weight loss medications to help with compliance and greater weight loss in conjunction with the VLCD. 
There are three different intensities or phases of a VLCD diet. On the most intensive phase, we're looking at weight loss of around that one to two and a half kilos a week. Okay. It's going to average out to be around 20 kilos after three to four months. Like all diets, it's common to see larger amounts of weight loss in the first week of the program. And, you know, it will, of course, depend on physical activity and vary from one person to another. You know, we always advise anyone who is going to do a VLCD to be supervised by a healthcare professional, such as a dietitian, a doctor, a pharmacist, a diabetes educator, or any of the other trained healthcare professionals. Such support is advised primarily due to the health problems often associated with people who have a higher weight and medications that they may be on that need to be modified with that change in the diet um, and provides support when things can be challenging with the regime of the VLCD. Patients with type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure should be monitored carefully and may need medication adjustments. So if you are looking to do a VLCD, please seek support from those that are involved in your healthcare before you start. I specialize in weight loss using medications, intragastric balloons and post-surgical patients. I've watched my clients lose 5, 10, 15, 20, even 30 kilos by up-leveling their knowledge about food, nutrition, lifestyle, and health, and making big and small changes to their diet. They're no longer tired and fatigued all day long. They are comfortable in their clothes, and the air fryer is no longer their best friend. They know how to nourish themselves each and every day for their day's needs, and they are so proud of the role model that they have become to their family. If you are interested in working with me, head over to yourfamiliesnutritionist.com.au and book in a call. The next one that I wanted to look at is medication. So I did briefly mention weight loss medications can be used in conjunction with the VLCD. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time just looking at medications itself as well. Because I guess over the last five to 10 years, we've seen an increase in the availability of these weight loss medications here in Australia um, and different classes of weight loss medications being introduced. So having worked in the diabetes service for several years, that's where I first heard of medications such as Saxenda when it first became available. You know, we're probably looking at 10, 11, 12 years ago. You know, I think historically some weight loss medications certainly got a bad rap. Thinking back to things like Orlistat and Duramine, medications now have been around for a while, but the ones that we're seeing used and introduced more so now tend to have less side effects which is only a good thing for you guys as consumers as a little bit of a snapshot you know there's still quite a few medications available um having access to them has proven difficult over the last 12 to 18 months the way that they generally work though is to slow down gastric emptying so therefore they're going to keep you full of the longer or they change some of the hormones in your brain, including the hunger and fullness hormones, which can help with craving and appetite regulation. A few little stats for you. On average, after one year, adults who take prescription medications as part of a lifestyle program lose um, 3% or up to 12% more of their starting body weight than people who are just doing a lifestyle program alone who do not um, introduce the medications. So medications have the ability to help you lose an extra 3 to 12% of your weight when we combine them with a lifestyle program. 
Research shows that some people taking prescription weight management medications lose around that 10% or more of their starting weight. Okay, so 5 to 10% is what we generally say. It can be 3 to 12%. Results obviously vary um, based on the medications and based by the person. More than 50% of people will lose 10% or more. So that's quite promising. Medications don't replace exercise and they don't replace healthy eating. I like to think that they are the helping hands that you need whilst you learn and adapt your lifestyle throughout the time that you use them. I'm not going to spend too much time on them, though, because we have a guest coming up on this season's podcast um, who is a medical doctor and he's going to share far more information about you in terms of what they do, how they do, what they do, and all that goodness. So stay tuned for that episode. All right, the next one, second last one I want to talk about is balloons, okay? Intragastric balloons. Who's heard of them before? I've been working with patients who've had balloons for about eight years now. There's typically two that we would see here in Australia more commonly. Um, One's been around for a little bit longer, and that's the Obira balloon. So it's inserted endoscopically. So it usually takes about 20 minutes, and it's filled with about 500 mils or a saline solution. And it then sits in your stomach, taking up room in your stomach that food otherwise would. It's left in there for about six months, and then it's removed the same way that it's inserted. So endoscopically under a twilight sedation. They draw out the saline, pull the balloon out, and off you go. The other balloon, I guess, has come to the market more recently in Australia. I would like to say maybe a year or two. And it's also known as the swallowable balloon because it doesn't require that endoscopy for insertion. But you swallow a little capsule um, that contains the balloon. It's attached to a catheter. We then insert the saline um, and passes naturally around 16 weeks after it's been inserted. So it works the same way in terms of taking up space in your stomach. It's just inserted and passed differently. What we're seeing is the average weight loss with the balloons is around that 10 to 15 percent of your body weight. And this comes down to the increased feelings of fullness that you have with the balloon in place. Um, That creates smaller portions, a reduction in your total energy and a decrease in your weight. People can usually resume normal activities within a day or so of having the balloon inserted, which is what makes it quite attractive. Um, You know, there's no surgical recovery for it. Some of the most common symptoms that people may have with the balloon can be nausea, abdominal pains. Occasionally, they might get some vomiting, some reflux, constipation, um, and burping. However, they don't tend to last usually the whole time the balloon is in. There's obviously going to be an adjustment period once the balloon gets in. But, you know, there are always solutions to why um, and how we treat those symptoms. With the balloon in, um, around 91% of patients will have some form of these symptoms, okay? As I said, just because you have it doesn't mean it needs to be a problem. You know, we can always treat it and adjust things. And before we talk about how to have conversations with your doctor about any of these options, I want to touch on surgery. So here in Australia, the laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy is the most performed surgical procedure for weight loss. In other countries, such as New Zealand and America, the gastric bypass is performed a lot more, and that's just due to changes in their medical system compared to ours. 
They're two very different types of surgeries, though. A sleeve is purely restrictive. Your stomach is a muscle, and it can stretch for two to three litres. doesn't mean it should, but it can. For people who have undergone a sleeve, they have a much smaller stomach, okay? It's going to have roughly the capacity of about 200 mils or the size of a ladyfinger banana. It's known for its effectiveness because it is a restrictive procedure. It's just restricting the portions you can consume at any meal or any time of the day. On the other hand, a bypass is restrictive, but it's also malabsorptive, meaning that due to the change in anatomy, certain nutrients aren't absorbed as readily as they used to be. Both help a person to feel fuller on smaller portions and help with hunger and appetite because of changes to those hunger and fullness hormones. Most people, so around 90%, lose about 50%, so half of their excess weight after bariatric surgery and keep it off. Different procedures, though, have slightly different results. So if we're looking at a study published earlier this year, the long-term sustainability of weight loss post-sleeve at one-year follow-up showed that uh, excess body weight loss was around 84.5% at one year. At five years post-op, that excess body weight loss was around 64, so we usually get some weight regain around that two-year mark. And that 11 years post-surgery, the excess body weight loss was 66%. So, you know, more than 10 years on, they've still lost 66% of their excess weight. Okay, this study adds new evidence around, you know, the short-term efficacy of an LSG. We can see here that the long-term assessment is stable, okay? Sustainable weight loss is achievable. With a bypass, if we look at some of the stats there, it's going to produce significant weight loss in patients, usually around that 60 to 70% when we look at that long-term data, okay? So it's very similar to a, a sleeve. When we look at some specific studies, so there was one conducted not so long ago, had 130 patients in there, one year after surgery for after a bypass, 26 patients, so 20%, had lost more than 50% of their excess body weight. Okay, uh, what happened to the other 80%? What were their statistics and what does that actually mean? So if someone has not achieved more than 50% of their excess weight loss doesn't mean that they're not successful, okay? Some factors, though, that can impact why someone doesn't lose as much weight as they wanted to after surgery might be because they were older when they had their surgery. They might have a history of chronic health conditions. They may have had previous abdominal surgeries. They may have mood disorders, anxiety, depression, there may be a number of other comorbidities. And we also know that unemployment affects weight loss after surgery, okay? Just because people may not lose enough weight to improve, to meet those targets of, you know, successful weight loss doesn't mean that they haven't improved their comorbidities, come off medication, improve their quality of life, okay? So think about all of those statistics. Now, starting a conversation with your doctor about weight loss is an important step towards achieving your health goals. So I want to cover some tips to help you initiate this conversation effectively. So number one, schedule an appointment. Make an appointment 
schedule yourself in so that you can specifically talk to your doctor about your weight and weight loss goals. So it just means that you're going to have that dedicated time without feeling rushed. Be honest with yourself before your appointment. Take some time to reflect on your weight, your health history, the challenges that you've faced with like weight loss in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Be honest about your current eating habits, your exercise levels, any medical conditions you have, or any medications that may be affecting your weight. And prepare any questions that you may have. So make a list of questions that you have about weight loss so that you can take them in and ask your doctor. So some of the questions that you might ask is, what would be a healthy weight range for me? What are the potential health risks associated with my current weight? What weight loss, what weight loss options are available to me? Are there any underlying medical conditions that could be contributing to my weight gain? Can you recommend a dietitian to help with meal planning and behavior change? Are there any medications or treatments that may be appropriate for weight loss in my case? Be open and honest. During the appointments, be open and honest with your doctor about your weight loss goals and what challenges that you faced. You know, is there any weight loss attempts that you've learned things about yourself that you want to take into this next chapter? Is there any diets that you tried that have or haven't worked for you? This information will help your doctor provide a personalised plan for you and listen actively. Pay close attention to your doctor's advice and recommendations. They'll consider your medical history, your current health status, potential risks when discussing all of those options for you and then set realistic goals. Help establish a safe and effective plan for your needs that's not going to put you under too much pressure that's going to see you buckling a couple of days in and have the support you know people like myself as dietitians can provide you with the support and accountability to help you stay on track with that plan remember that your doctor as am i are there to help you achieve your health goals and having an open and honest conversation about weight loss is important in your step towards a better, healthier, lighter you. That's all I have for you today. Another episode done and dusted here at Scales and Tails, unveiling the secret of weight loss podcast. I hope you found valuable insights and practical tips to support your weight loss journey. Remember, sustainable change takes time. So be patient and kind to yourself. I'd love for you to head to my website at yourfamiliesnutritionist.com.au. I so appreciate you being here, so thank you. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please reach out to me. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, then I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review so that others can find the podcast and have the opportunity to achieve something they've thought was impossible up until now. Between now and then, when I'm next in your ears, I hope you find the joy in the food you eat and get to share it with those you love, including yourself.